Section 21 of The Idea of Progress by J. B. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17. Progress in the French Revolutionary Movement, 1830 to 1851. 1. In 1850, there appeared at Paris a small book by M. A. Javary with the title De l'idée du progrès. Its interest lies in the express recognition that progress was the characteristic idea of the age, ardently received by some, hotly denounced by others. If there is any idea, he says, quote, that belongs properly to one century, at least by the importance accorded to it, and that, whether accepted or not, is familiar to all minds, it is the idea of progress conceived as the general law of history and the future of humanity. Close quote. He observes that some, intoxicated by the spectacle of the material improvements of modern civilization and the results of science, set no limits to man's power or his hopes, while others, unable to deny the facts, say that this progress serves only the lower part of human nature and refuse to look with complacency on a movement which means, they assert, a continuous decadence of the nobler part, to which it is replied that if moral decadence is a fact, it is only transient. It is a necessary phase of a development which means moral progress in the end, for it is due to the process by which the beliefs, ideas, and institutions of the past disappear and make way for new and better principles. And Javary notes a prevailing tendency in France to interpret every contemporary movement as progressive, while all the social doctrinaires justify their particular reforms by invoking the law of progress. It was quite true that during the July monarchy nearly all serious speculations on society and history were related to that idea. It was common to Michelet and Quinet, who saw in the march of civilization the gradual triumph of liberty to Leroux and Cabet, who preached humanitarian communism, to Louis Blanc and to Proudhon, to the bourgeois who were satisfied with the regime of Louis-Philippe and grew rich, following the precept of Guizot, as well as to the workers who overthrew it. It is significant that the journal of Louis Blanc, in which he published his book on the Organization of Work, 1839, was entitled Revue des Progrès. The political question as to the due limits between government and individual freedom was discussed in terms of progress. Is personal liberty or state authority the efficient means of progressing? The metaphysical question of necessity and free will acquired a new interest. Is progress a fatality, independent of human purposes, determined by general, ineluctable historical laws? Quinet and Michelet argued vigorously against the optimism of Cousin, who with Hegel held that history is just what it ought to be and could not be improved. 2. Among the competing theories of the time, and sharply opposed to the views of Comte, was the idea, derived from the revolution, that the world is moving towards universal equality and the obliteration of class distinctions, that this is the true direction of progress. This view, represented by leaders of the popular movement against the bourgeois ascendancy, derived powerful reinforcement from one of the most enlightened political thinkers of the day. The appearance of de Tocqueville's renowned study of American democracy was the event of 1834. He was convinced that he had discovered on the other side of the Atlantic the answer to the question whither the world is tending. In American society he found that equality of conditions is the generating fact on which every other fact depends. He concluded that equality is the goal of humanity, providentially designed. Quote, the gradual development of equality of conditions has the principal characteristics of a providential fact. It is universal, it is permanent, it eludes human power. All events and all men serve this development. 
This whole book has been written under the impression of a sort of religious terror produced in the author's soul by the view of this irresistible revolution which for so many centuries has been marching across all obstacles, and which is today seen still advancing in the midst of the ruins it has made. If the men of our time were brought to see that the gradual and progressive development of equality is at once the past and the future of their history, this single discovery would give that development the sacred character of the will of the sovereign master. Here we have a view of the direction of progress and the meaning of history, pretending to be based upon the study of facts and announced with the most intense conviction. And behind it is the fatalistic doctrine that the movement cannot be arrested or diverted that it is useless to struggle against it, that men, whatever they may do, cannot deflect the clock-like motion regulated by a power which de Tocqueville calls providence, but to which his readers might give some other name. 3. It has been conjectured, and seems probable enough, that de Tocqueville's book was one of the influences which wrought upon the mind of Proudhon. The speculations of this remarkable man, who, like Saint-Simon and Comte, sought to found a new science of society, attracted general attention in the middle of the century. His hostility to religion, his notorious dictum that property is theft, his gospel of anarchy, and the defiant, precipitous phrases in which he clothed his ideas, created an impression that he was a dangerous antisocial revolutionary. But when his ideas are studied in their context and translated into sober language, they are not so unreasonable. Notwithstanding his communistic theory of property and his ideal of equality, he was a strong individualist. He held that the future of civilization depends on the energy of individuals, that liberty is a condition of its advance, and that the end to be kept in view is the establishment of justice, which means equality. He saw the difficulty of reconciling liberty with complete equality, but hoped that the incompatibility would be overcome by a gradual reduction of the natural differences in men's capacities. He said, I am an anarchist, but his anarchy only meant that the time would come when government would be superfluous, when every human being could be trusted to act wisely and morally without a restraining authority or external sanctions. Nor was he a utopian. He comprehended that such a transformation of society would be a long, slow process, and he condemned the schools of Saint-Simon and Fourier for imagining that a millennium might be realized immediately by a change of organization. He tells us that all his speculations and controversial activities are penetrated with the idea of progress, which he described as the railway of liberty, and his radical criticism on current social theories, whether conservative or democratic, was that they did not take progress seriously, though they invoked it. Quote, what dominates in all my studies, what forms their beginning and end, their summit and their base, their reason, what makes my originality as a thinker, if I have any, is that I affirm progress resolutely, irrevocably, and everywhere, and deny the absolute. All that I have ever written, all I have denied or affirmed, I have written, denied, or affirmed in the name of one unique idea, progress. My adversaries, on the other hand, are all partisans of the absolute, in omni genere casu et numero, to use the phrase of Scannarelli. Close quote. 4. A vague confidence in progress had lain behind and encouraged the revolution of 1789, but in the revolution of 1848 the idea was definitely enthroned as the regnant principle. It presided over the session of the committee which drew up the constitution of the Second Republic. Armand Marast, the most important of the men who framed that document, based the measure of universal suffrage upon the invisible law which rules societies the law of progress which has been so long denied but which is rooted in the nature of man. 
His argument was this. Revolutions are due to the repression of progress, and are the expression and triumph of a progress which has been achieved. But such convulsions are an undesirable method of progressing. How can they be avoided? Only by organizing elastic institutions in which new ideas of amelioration can easily be incorporated, and laws which can be accommodated without struggle or friction to the rise of new opinions. What is needed is a flexible government open to the penetration of ideas, and the key to such a government is universal suffrage. Universal suffrage was practical politics, but the success of the revolution fluttered agreeably all the mansions of utopia, and social reformers of every type sought to improve the occasion. In the history of the political struggles of 1848, the names are written of Proudhon, of Victor Considerant, the disciple of Fourier, of Pierre Leroux, the humanitarian communist, and his devoted pupil George Sand. The chief title of Leroux to be remembered is just his influence over the soul of the great novelist. Her later romances are pervaded by ideas derived from his teaching. His communism was vague and ineffectual, but he was one of the minor forces in the thought of the period, and there are some features in his theory which deserve to be pointed out. Leroux had begun as a member of the Saint-Simonian school, but he diverged into a path of his own. He reinstated the ideal of equality which Saint-Simon rejected, and made the approach to that ideal the measure of progress. The most significant process in history, he held, is the gradual breaking down of caste and class. The process is now approaching its completion. Today, man is synonymous with equal. In order to advance to the city of the future, we must have a force and a lever. Man is the force, and the lever is the idea of progress. It is supplied by the study of history, which displays the improvement of our faculties, the increase of our power over nature, the possibility of organizing society more efficaciously. But the force and the lever are not enough. A fulcrum is also required, and this is to be found in the solidarity of the human race. But this conception meant for Leroux something different from what is ordinarily meant by the phrase, a deeper and even mystical bond. Human solidarity was a corollary from the pantheistic religion of the Saint-Simonians, but with Leroux, as with Fourier, it was derived from the more difficult doctrine of palingenesis. We of this generation, he believed, are not merely the sons and descendants of past generations. We are the past generations themselves, which have come to birth again in us. Through many pages of the two volumes in which he set forth his thesis, Leroux expended much useless learning in endeavoring to establish this doctrine, which, were it true, might be the central principle in a new religion of humanity, a transformed Pythagoreanism. It is easy to understand the attractiveness of palingenesis to a believer in progress, for it would provide a solution of the anomaly that generations after generations are sacrificed for the sake of posterity, and so appear to have no value in themselves. Believers in progress, who are sensitive to the sufferings of mankind, past and present, need a stoical resolution to face this fact. We saw how Herder refused to accept it. A pantheistic faith, like that of the Saint-Simonian Church, may help some, it cannot do more, to a stoical acquiescence. The palingenesis of Leroux or Fourier removes the radical injustice. The men of each generation are sacrificed and suffer for the sake of their descendants, but as their descendants are themselves come to life again, they are really suffering in their own interests. They will themselves reach the desirable state to which the slow, painful process of history is tending. But palingenesis, notwithstanding all the ancient opinions and traditions that the researches of Leroux might muster, could carry little conviction to those who were ceasing to believe in the familiar doctrine of a future life detached from earth, 
and Madame Dudevant was his only distinguished convert. 5. The ascendancy of the idea of progress among thoughtful people in France in the middle of the last century is illustrated by the work which Ernest Renan composed under the immediate impression of the events of 1848. He desired to understand the significance of the current revolutionary doctrines, and was at once involved in speculation on the future of humanity. This is the purport of L'Avenir de la Science. The author was then convinced that history has a goal, and that mankind tends perpetually, though in an oscillating line, towards a more perfect state, through the growing dominion of reason over instinct and caprice. He takes the French Revolution as the critical moment in which humanity first came to know itself. That revolution was the first attempt of man to take the reins into his own hands. All that went before we may call, with Owen, the irrational period of human existence. We have now come to a point at which we must choose between two faiths. If we despair of reason, we may find a refuge from utter skepticism in a belief in the external authority of the Roman Church. If we trust reason, we must accept the march of the human mind and justify the modern spirit. And it can be justified only by proving that it is a necessary step towards perfection. Renan affirmed his belief in the second alternative, and felt confident that science, including philology, on the human bearings of which he enlarged, philosophy, and art, would ultimately enable men to realize an ideal civilization, in which all would be equal. The state, he said, is the machine of progress, and the socialists are right in formulating the problem which man has to solve, though their solution is a bad one. For individual liberty, which socialism would seriously limit, is a definite conquest and ought to be preserved inviolate. Renan wrote this work in 1848 and 1849, but did not publish it at the time. He gave it to the world forty years later. Those forty years had robbed him of his early optimism. He continues to believe that the unfortunate conditions of our race might be ameliorated by science, but he denounces the view that men can ever be equal. Inequality is written in nature. It is not only a necessary consequence of liberty, but a necessary postulate of progress. There will always be a superior minority. He criticizes himself, too, for having fallen into the error of Hegel, and assigned to man an unduly important place in the universe. In 1890 there was nothing left of the sentimental socialism which he had studied in 1848. It had been blown away by the cold wind of scientific socialism which Marx and Engels created, and Renan had come to think that in this new form socialism would triumph. Footnote. He reckoned without the new forces, opposed to socialism as well as to parliamentary democracy, represented by Bakunin and men like Georges Sorel. End of footnote. He had criticized Comte for believing that, quote, man lives exclusively by science, or rather little verbal tags like geometrical theorems, dry formulae, close quote. Was he satisfied by the concrete doctrine of Marx that all the phenomena of civilization at a given period are determined by the methods of production and distribution which then prevail? But the future of socialism is a minor issue, and the ultimate goal of humanity is quite uncertain. Quote, Ce qu'il y a de consolant, c'est qu'on arrive nécessairement quelque part. We may console ourselves with the certainty that we must get somewhere. 6. Proudhon described the idea of progress as the railway of liberty. It certainly supplied motive power to social ideals which were repugnant and alarming to the authorities of the Catholic Church. At the Vatican it was clearly seen that the idea was a powerful engine driven by an enemy. 
and in the famous syllabus of errors which pope pius the ninth flung in the face of the modern world at the end of eighteen sixty four progress had the honor of being censured the eightieth error which closes the list runs thus romanus pontifex potest ac debet cum progressu cum liberalismo et cum recenti civilitate cesse reconciliare et componere Quote, the roman pontiff can and ought to be reconciled and come to terms with progress with liberalism and with modern civilization Close quote. no wonder seeing that progress was invoked to justify every movement that offended the nostrils of the vatican liberalism toleration democracy and socialism and the roman church well understood the intimate connection of the idea with the advance of rationalism end of section twenty one